welcome to Bookshelf Shelfies. I'm your host, Mary Barbara Hanna. Here we interview everyday people about their extraordinary lives and the books that influence them. Hi, everybody. It's Mary Barbara Hanna, and of course, this is Bookshelf Shelfies. Today, I have with me this stunning, beautiful young woman named Steph Mullen, and I only know her because of my daughter, Lauren Totten. I actually know very little about Steph. So uh, I asked her here today, though, because she is a first-time author. And I wanted to talk to her about her new book, the excitement around having a book, uh, the excitement around being called an author, frankly. So that's where we're starting today. And so welcome, Steph. Thanks for being here today. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you all. Great. So tell us a little bit how you know Lauren. Sure. So Lauren and I met at my first job in New York, which, wow, so many years ago now, probably, what is it, seven or eight years ago. And we just happened to kind of be in the same department and just started chatting and realized we had so much in common. We both loved watching true crime. We both loved travel. And we just really hit it off and became really great friends. So she's been a very close friend since then. What was, was that? Was that at the shoe place? That's uh, travel place? zoo. But I actually oh, did. Oh, yeah, I actually did hire Lauren freelance at my following fashion job after that. So okay, okay. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Okay, I forgot yeah. that you worked at Travel Zoo. Yeah, it's um, you know, being the proud mom that I am, you know, just watching Lauren and and then all her friends who started off in New York and made it happen and still live and work there because it's such a you know if you could, if you can make it there kind of thing. It's and so then true. you um took off to Charlotte. That's where you are now, Charlotte, North Carolina. That's correct. Yep. Um, after being in New York for that, like kind of seven year mark, um, my husband and I got married and we both have family in Raleigh, North Carolina. And we ah. just decided, you know what? We went to school in South Carolina. Our family's all in North Carolina. We have a bunch of friends in Charlotte. Like we just wanted more space to mm-hmm. stretch out and get mm-hmm. a puppy and just kind of put some roots down where our money could go a lot further. So we made the jump to have a little bit of a slower pace of life. And it's been it's been great, but also very busy, not a whole lot slower. So, <laughs> you know, well, it's good. You know, what I think about that is you're young, so it's good. Sure. You Absolutely. don't get, if when you're old, you can be tired and slow down, but when you're <laughs> exactly. young, it's good to, uh, you know, have all that stuff going on. It's very exciting. And so then you came down to Charlotte and were you writing before you came to Charlotte? Sure. Yeah. So I started writing while I was still in New York, but kind of playing around with different genres, different interests. Um, I wrote one full manuscript that I was a little more YA that I ended up being like, you know what? I don't know if this is really the genre for me right now. So I put that in a drawer. Um, And then I actually started writing another solo book that I wrote a full manuscript of kind of like between coming to New York and coming to Charlotte. Um, But then once I was in Charlotte, my co-author on my upcoming thriller, Nicole Mabry, um, her and I were in talks for a long time because she actually had a debut solo book come out. Um, She still lives in New York. And we've been talking for years and years and years about how, gosh, if we could just write a book together, we'd be like the perfect author because we have exact opposite strengths, exact opposite weaknesses, but all the same interests. Like if we could just combine ourselves in one person, how amazing would that be? Um, So she's like a plot machine. And she was pitching ideas at me for years. Like, what about this? What about this? What about this? And I was just, I was kind of like, I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. I just never felt like this was like the lightning strike book I wanted to write. Um, So then once I was in Charlotte, I was kind of midway editing my solo project, which is also a thriller. And she called me with this great idea. And I was like, 
sold. We have to write it. So we've actually been in a long distance writing relationship our entire time since we started as co-authors, which has been a really interesting journey. But um, I kind of just put my solo book on a shelf and we got such you know momentum with our co-author projects that we've just decided to focus on this as our career currently. And then maybe we'll revisit the solo projects one day, but right now we're just having such a great time as partners. So that's kind of where our focus is right now. It's got to be um, the moment you realized that things were moving forward. Like we're writing, we're writing, and then, oh, we've got a publisher. Oh, this is actually going to happen. Tell it's me very what, surreal. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Where, what were you doing when it suddenly hit you that this is, you can actually put author after your name? Um, you know, it's funny. Like some days it feels real still and some days it doesn't. We're actually three months out right now from publication of our book in the UK, the US. The ebooks come out at the same time in the US and the US paperbacks the following fall, but we're officially three months out from our book being like officially in the world, which is very wild to me. Um, but it's been a really interesting journey for us, um, especially because we got a very non-traditional route to publishing. Um, we wrote this book very fast. We were very passionate about it. We felt this was a very trendy topic. It's not really done in fiction yet. Like we want to be the first, like we really mm -hmm. want to just like get in there and get this book written. So we buckled down, we wrote it very quickly. Um, and we really put a lot into editing it. And then we started, you know, querying it, pitching it to agents. And then the pandemic like shut everything down, um, right? Like we were getting all these full requests and excitement from agents. And then the pandemic just like really yeah. threw a wrench into things, um, which has made the publishing journey even more crazy to go through it while people are kind of on quarantine and not really going out and about as much. Um, so we actually, we almost put it on a shelf. We almost were like, maybe this isn't the time. Like we're just hitting wall after wall after wall. And then, we're like, you know what? There's this Twitter pitch contest coming up. Why don't we just throw our hat in the ring in this Twitter pitch contest, pitch out our book idea and see if any agents or editors find it interesting. Like, why not? If not, we'll put it in a, in a drawer for now. Um, and our incredible editor at um, Avon Books UK, HarperCollins UK, liked our tweet, requested material, read it in a weekend and was like in love with it. Um, and they ended up offering us a two book deal. So we actually- Is that the longest weekend of your life? It was crazy. I mean, <laughs> she was, she's very great, very communicative. Um, and we worked back and forth with her a little bit on some editing and things like that before the main official offer. But they ended up making us an offer for that, plus a pitch of a second book, which was a very crazy experience because um, it was a book we hadn't even written yet. So it's currently in editing right now, um, getting by us, and it's going to get sent to our editor by April 1st. But um, that was a very interesting experience. That's, I think, what made me feel most like an author was this second book, almost mm -hmm. like the first book is our baby and we love it so much, but we wrote that out of passion. Like we weren't on a deadline. We weren't like under the gun and any sort of means. Like we just were writing because we really felt strongly about it. But then the second book, like you're already contracted. You're like writing to a deadline. You're getting your plot approved by someone. It's just a completely different experience. It makes it feel more like a business than anything mm -hmm. else at this mm -hmm. point so mm -hmm. I would say that like starting to work on that and like oh like no like we have to sit down and write this by this date like we it needs to happen no matter what else is going on in our lives like that I think is what really made me feel like oh like this is a career now like I'm not just <laughs> writing because I like to write so right I can't call in sick today right absolutely not so <laughs> I would say I mean I think every day is different some days you feel like it's total fraud and then other days you feel like wow I'm doing this incredible thing that's been my dream forever and it just fluctuates depending on the mood. But I would say writing book two and being like trying to write book two while simultaneously starting to market book one has been a really interesting journey that makes, I think has made it feel more real. I love, first of all, um, so thank you for taking the time today because clearly you're a busy woman. <laughs> no, no, um, no. 
But uh, second of all, I really want to dig in just for a moment about that whole fraud thing. You know, it's interesting. We never used to hear the phrase imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. and that didn't really become popular until more recently. But I think so many women have had that secret of that secret anxiety inside them, maybe men too, but we're not, you know, you and I are women. So we're talking from a woman's perspective. (laughs) Exactly. If a man wants to come on and talk about it, we will. Um, But tell me a little bit what I, before we get into imposter syndrome, my question for you is when you were five, what did you think you'd be doing as an adult? What was your sort of dream world? Sure. Well, it's funny, actually, when I was like five or six years old, I actually was like, I want to be a writer. Like I was starting to read. I had a little, I remember very vividly some little journal I had in like first grade where it was like, write what you want to be when you grow up. And I was like, I want to be a writer. And I was always like, I'm going to write a book by the time I graduate high school, because that seems so far away. Right. And then obviously is a ridiculous goal, like did not happen. But um, it's funny. And my, I, I changed over the years. You know, I, then I was like, maybe I'm going to be a doctor. And then I was like, I'm a visual creative person. I'm not going to be a doctor, right? Every, everyone goes through that phase. Um, and so then I kind of transitioned and I went, I did study journalism, but I also kind of went through photography and graphic design and kind of switched over to the visual side of things. But I think the, the desire to write has always been in me. And I've always just loved reading so much that I always dreamed of doing it, but it just, it always seemed very kind of like just a pipe dream. Like it, it always just was like, this is the thing I really want to do, but to actually sit and do it is just a totally different ball game like to hit on that visual side how does that impact your writing being a visual person are you super descriptive are you focused on detail and is that the I mean tell me a little bit you don't have to tell us I mean I don't want you to give away the plot of the book obviously but um you know how does that impact your writing and especially when you're co-authoring with somebody are you great at writing the detail stuff or you know just talk a little bit about that yeah I would say we're both very detail oriented um she also she works in TV um, in post-production. So she's also a very, and she's a photographer. So she's also a very visual person. Um, We actually met at Travel Zoo as well. She was also in the same department as me and Lauren, which is funny. We all go way back. Um, But she and I are both very visual people and we're both very savvy to media and technology and current events. So I think that definitely finds a way in because we're not only we're detail oriented as far as like when we write, we kind of picture like if this was a film or a TV show or a photograph, like what are all your senses? What are you seeing? What are you experiencing? Like, how do we make the reader kind of experience that the same way the character is? Like, mm-hmm. especially in our second book coming out, I think that'll really come through. Um, our first book, The Family Tree is, it's a very fast paced, like commercial thriller. Like it is just like, bam, 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 like action. Um, and so it's it's very different than our second book, which we're currently working, which is more atmospheric and character driven. So it's a lot more psychological suspense than the first one. Um, so a little bit of something for everybody, but Excellent. I think especially in the second one, we've had to really like make the setting almost like a character in itself. So I think mm. that will really come, come through um, in that book, but yeah, we're very detail oriented. I especially like setting and character are some of my favorite things to do. Um, and I love kind of like, I would call it like flowering things up a little bit. Like <laughs> Nicole is very, very plot driven. Like her brain is just firing up plot 24 seven. Whereas my brain is more so like, well, how can we develop this person's ticks or how can we like make this setting, like look more like you can visualize it. So that's kind of another way we work well together, but I would definitely say like being a visual person plays into it. Cause you're like, well, I can see it. So now how do I mm-hmm. put that into words? I really, um, one of my, I have many, um, I read a lot. I mean, this is just a small segment of my bookshelf behind me. Um, And I just, I have been a voracious reader. You know, every writer needs a reader. That would be my job in the world. Um, And I, 
I, I like different books for different reasons. And I'm just pulling this name out of the air a little bit. Her name is Maeve Binchy, and she's, I think, a UK writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so sometimes I enjoy detailed writing, like sometimes in the pace of the book or the genre of the book, I want to hear about the flowered wallpaper mm-hmm. and the desk cluttered with you know memorabilia and the pattern on the couch. Sometimes I like that slower pace, mm-hmm. sink into the cushions, drink your cup of tea while you're reading it. And then other times I don't want to hear about the steel building with the four right. windows that were crusted over with iron ore or whatever the thing is. It's a, it's it, a balance. Yeah, it's yeah, a balance. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It really is. And I think it's, um, I also, as a reader, sometimes depending on, again, what's happening in the book, my I will skim ahead to see how much description there is and how much um, conversation there is or dialogue there is. And if it's the kind of book where I don't, the description is getting in the way, mm-hmm. I just kind of like, okay, they're in the dining room, great. they were sitting down. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Yeah. Drinking wine. Yeah. Well, let's get to the conversation. Mm-hmm. And then other times the setting, as you said, is really key to, mm-hmm. it's, it's almost its own character. And so I really want to revel in reading mm-hmm. that stuff. Have you read a book called um, A Man in Moscow? I have not in read all your busy time. Like, what do you do all day? It's, I'm not busy at all. Um, exactly. You know, I, I don't I have, have a puppy. Done. I'm not writing. No, 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 it's a pandemic. I still work a full-time job in addition go to, to the writing. Beach. It's fine. Yeah. Right. <laughs> if you ever, oops, sorry. If you ever get a chance to read this book, mm-hmm. I feel like it's the Cary Grant of books. Okay. Oh. The way it's written. And I have to turn around to see. <laughs> oh yeah, it's right here. The man's name is A-M-O-R, Amor, okay. Towels, T-O-W-L-E-S, and it's called A Gentleman in Moscow, and it is written, really, I just think of Cary Grant when I read this thing. It's suave, it's mm-hmm. debonair, it's oh. got valor, it's um, beautifully brave, it's got swag. You know what I mean? I I mean it's it. just this yeah. really, and, I, and it is a long book and so when I first started reading it I was like trying to get through it I'm like right I'm going about this all the wrong way this is not right. a book to get through this is a book to savor sure you can't read it every day for hours you have to read a little bit every day mm-hmm. with a glass of wine a cup of tea right. appetizers I don't know <laughs> so I really so that's uh you know just going off on a side bent there but yeah. thinking about your visual skills mm-hmm. and what I appreciate in my authors yeah um I wanted to ask you so have you been doing a lot of these pre-press, I mean, pre-publication interviews? I mean, are you having to do a lot of this junket kind of work right now? So we've had some populating here and there. Um, I think now that we're getting closer to publication, it's going to really ramp up over the next few months. Um, We're, like I said, we're in a very interesting situation because we, even though we are US-based, we have a UK-based publisher with um, Avon HarperCollins UK. So they're a lot of the focus at first will be on the UK side since it's publishing mm-hmm. first there. So it'll be a lot of virtual thing, virtual events, video interviews, writing editorials, writing articles, maybe short stories, things like that, that we can kind of do from afar. Mm-hmm. Um, so we kind of just got our timeline for all of that. So that I think we'll start ramping up throughout the spring here before um, that comes out June 10th over there. And we'll start getting to hear our audiobook narrators soon, all that kind of fun stuff. So that'll be That's really exciting. exciting. Yeah, that'll be really fun. Um, but then I think this summer will then kind of be switching gears over into a lot of stuff for the paperback in the U S in October. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and I think, well, I hope that things will start to go back a little more in person as we get closer to that. Cause we would really love to do some in-person launch events and readings and signings yes. and things of that nature yes. as we get into the fall. So 
we're, we're trying to stay hopeful and positive that things are going to in the right direction for that. But um, we've done a couple of these virtual ones so far, which is fun. And it's great, especially since we're not in the same place. It's nice because then we get to just talk to people no matter where they're located, which is mm-hmm. a nice bonus of being virtual. But yeah, um, but yeah, we've done a couple, but I think over the next few months, we'll start to see them ramping up a lot more. So what I'd like to ask you and the couple that you've done, what are you starting to learn about yourself mm-hmm. as you interview? What's, I mean, because, you know, we're seeing the professional stuff in front of us, but behind your eyeballs, mm-hmm. uh, oh, my dogs are going to have a little field day here. Um, behind your eyeballs, what are you learning about yourself while you give interviews? You know, it's funny. I kind of joked when we were going into this, like, cause I'm also now having to really ramp up social media presence, having to be more like putting my face out there in the world, my name out there. And I always joke like I've had such stranger danger in my whole life because I listen to a lot of true crime. Like it's very weird to me being like people who I don't know are seeing me and know who I am. Like that's a very weird thing for me to wrap my mind around. Um, so just kind of getting used to that and like seeing, like we talked about that imposter syndrome a little bit, but you're like, okay, I'm not like, I am just an average person, but I have something interesting that people want to hear about. So just learning to look at myself in a different light has been really interesting because it is a really cool story and it's a really fun story book that we wrote that we're excited to share with people. So I think a kind of trying to put that imposter syndrome away and just revel and enjoy in the fact that we get to talk about this really fun thing um, has been good. And it's funny. We've all, I feel like I've also learned about myself that out of the two of us, I am like the talker. I, I am like, always ready to chat. I mean, I grew up doing public speaking competitions and things like that. So I'm not really like phased by having to talk to people, but Mm -hmm. um, it's been really interesting just like going into things without any preparation, any notes and just being confident, like, okay, I'll know the answers. Like, this is about me. This is about what I wrote. Like, it's not anything to be scared of. So it's been interesting. I would say I just, it's really been like a confidence builder and just like learning that, you know, this, this whole experience has taught me like just not giving up, right? Like just finding ways to pivot. And when you want something, if you want it bad enough and you like just keep finding new ways to try and like knock those barriers down, like it all ends up working out the way it's supposed to. Cause we could have given up whenever the pandemic hit and the fact that we we didn't. And now here we are with like a two book international deal is just amazing. So that's, I think what I've learned the most is that you can really do anything. So just finding out that I can function on very little sleep. I can do a lot of things at once and just still make it happen. So I think that's been really amazing. I love it. Thank you for bringing us back around to the imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. And I do appreciate, because I think, again, you know, a lot of the women, um, mm-hmm. not so much men, but women that I've interviewed uh, have all gone through those moments of doubt and thinking like, do I really belong here? Do I really have the skill set? Who am I? Why do they care about what I have to say? Exactly. Why? Yes, exactly. And the fact is, I have a lot of listeners that get a lot of encouragement from this kind of chatter for that exact reason. I think what's interesting is um, being an older person in society now. Um, And, you know, my daughter's always joking, you're not old mom. But the fact is, I'm almost (laughs) 60. And although 60 is like the new 50, 50 is still we're the new way, right? (laughs) Everybody. Hundred, so sixty can't be midlife. Yeah. But right. um, my generation of women were still, we were really um, coming up and coming of age during the women's movement in the seventies. Mm-hmm. I was probably ten, you know, in nineteen seventy-three, and so the huge wave of change and women looking to be feel that confidence of their um, and the opportunities to speak out and be seen for who they were and to try different things to be divorced moms or single moms or never get married and never have children. You know, when I was a kid growing up, that was sad. Like, oh, she's not fulfilling her purpose in the world. But the reality is 
there's so many options out there. And so to talk with, and now the other thing I see is um, the introduction, you know, you wonder at what point in your life, and this is for my older listeners, we all wonder at what point in our life we're no longer relevant. Mm-hmm. And it start. I can see now because I cannot get a grasp on social media. <laughs> it is not, it's not part of my everyday experience. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, when I hear you talk about being social media savvy, I want to be current. I want, I'm doing zoom, you know, You're doing, I've got a podcast, You're doing a great job. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, I'm trying to stay yeah. up with Instagram and I've joined clubhouse and I mean, you know, I'm trying to be there, but for me, the importance of those things is almost zero. Sure. Like I'm only doing that because it's kind of fun. It's kind of interesting, but it goes so fast. And I'm starting to realize in my old age, I'm slowing down a little bit, you know, and I can't, you know, it's like running that race for so long that finally you're like, why am I running? Mm-hmm. You know, it's just as fun to stand on the sidelines and watch all these young kids run by me. Just <laughs> well, as exciting. Uh, wear ourselves out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what was that? Is it let us wear ourselves out. It's exactly. Fine. Well, exactly. I mean, you start to realize, let the young people with all the energy start doing more of the work and let me, you know, sit on the sideline and in. Right. You earned it. it. Yeah, you earned it. <laughs> So I think that imposter syndrome um, is probably a lot more prevalent these days because mm-hmm. women have a lot or maybe feel more pressure to be socially media, social media savvy, to have, you know, to be on Instagram, to be, um, you know, there was no chance to be famous when we were kids. Sure. You could be famous because you were in Hollywood on TV or in New York, but just the everyday person, man, right. we just got up and went to school. There was no pictures or selfies or Right. There's no pressure to be above and beyond just who you are. But I feel like with maybe the Kardashian setting the pace for anybody <laughs> yeah. can be famous and should be. And right. if you're not famous, what's wrong with you? Um, mm-hmm. I think that has really set this onslaught of the imposter syndrome because sure. people feel like they should be something more or other than yeah. they are. And that is sort of being an imposter. It's good enough to be who you are. Yep. So I think journeys like this when you discover your confidence and you discover the place where you're strong and your strengths, it does relieve that imposter syndrome because you are staying true. You're being authentic Mm -hmm. and genuine. And that's what really appeals to me. And I know to the people that listen to my podcast is authentic, genuine people who are like, just as you said, like I was just going along doing my thing. And all of a sudden it's surreal. Like, how did this, how am I here? Right. It doesn't feel real some days still. And I mean, just kind of talk, touching base a little bit on what you were saying as well. Like I'm so grateful to my co-author, Nicole, we, we come from very different life experiences and places. Like, um, I just turned 30 last year, but Nicole's almost 50 and she started her writing career in her forties, um, as her second career. So, you know, we have, we come from just kind of different generations almost in the sense of what we've experienced growing up, like just different worlds of technology, different worlds of like, she grew up in California when serial killers were very rampant in California. So she's learned about true crime from very young age. Um, And so she kind of brings a very different experience than I bring to the table. And I think that's what makes our partnership so interesting is while we have all the same interests, we come from very different parts of life and just being able to, to bring that together is a really cool support system because whenever I'm feeling that imposter syndrome, she's a very huge supporter of women and of women being confident and owning what they're good at. And so just having her there to like be a cheerleader who understands exactly what I'm going through, I think has just been invaluable. Like it's just made it such a better experience. And we're in a, an, a group with all the other debut 2021 authors. And it's, there's a lot of incredible women in there who are just doing 
wonderful things and they're all such supporters of each other and just seeing women support other women is just such a cool thing to be a part of so very so grateful important for yeah mm-hmm. I think you're really hitting on it you know we can't it's very tiresome to see women tear each other down there you know yeah. we have to come to recognize there is abundance in this world absolutely there's, there's plenty all of, us. We can all of be everything we can exactly all be and support each other exactly. so yeah. yeah absolutely um, and I, you know, I hope um, after we're done here, I am going to ask you for Nicole's information. Maybe she'd Absolutely. like to come on and be a guest yeah, as well. I so I, um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit again, you know, I'm back into how you, how we grow and how we learn about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, my dog is at the door. So I'm <laughs> trying to ignore the jingle. Come on, buddy. Um, the podcast that I post on Facebook is unedited. But mm-hmm. what I post on iTunes gets edited. So okay. some of this will pop out of there. But for the people at home who are used to me being in my house, they know how it is here. <laughs> All right. So I want to talk a little bit. I know you have an ongoing health issue. Mm-hmm. And sometimes for people that have those um, ongoing health issues, it actually starts to wreak havoc with your energy, your psychic energy, your emotional energy. Can you share with us a little bit about how you manage that? How do you sure. get up every day anyway? Sure. I mean, it's been, um, my health journey started for me about, I want to say seven, eight years ago now. Um, and it's funny. It's just, I mean, it's just taught me life can change just in an instant. Like I was a very perfectly healthy young, young woman and I got food poisoning one time and food poisoning just completely caused, um, a post-infectious situation, which caused some autoimmune responses and has just went undiagnosed for many years. Um, both so made a whole bunch of cascading other issues. And, um, that was a whole journey, especially as a woman experiencing what it's like with, you know, male doctors, not believing you having to find, be an advocate for myself. Like it's made me such a stronger person in general. Cause I had to research, I had to learn, I had to like fight to find people who, you know, believed me and who were willing to go on this journey with me. Um, I've ended up, I find, I found some incredible you know, naturopath women doctors since then that have really helped. So I will say I've been very blessed that in the last maybe two years, my health has improved a lot, which Good. has been a great help. Um, so, you know, that is one shining moment, especially, you know, while we've been home during quarantine, one silver lining has been, I've been able to, even though I've been really busy with work and book things, like I have, I can't go anywhere. Right. So I've had, I've been able to focus a little bit more on prioritizing some some health related things, especially with like diet and medications mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, cause if I can't go anywhere, I'm like, if I get side effects or whatever, then oh, well, I'm home. So, right, right. Uh, you know, now, now's the time. Um, but you know, it is hard. It's exhausting. Like you said, some days you wake up and you're just like, I'm tired today. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I think especially as a woman, you feel like you need to really prove yourself, especially in careers. And when you're trying to put yourself out there and just waking up every day being like, I don't, I don't want to today. Like everyone has those days, right. Where you're like today, I really just don't feel well. I feel under the weather. Like I have a migraine, I have vertigo, whatever it may be. Like, Mm. I just don't feel well today. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges, but I think what the last couple of years has shown me is that I am capable of doing these things anyway. Um, and just being like, look, like at the end of the day, life is short and (laughs) I can't just sit around like feeling bad for myself. Like you know, I can't change what happened to me and I like the position that I've become with my health. And by just like being like, you know what, I am tired today. So maybe I am going to like 
because normally I write or edit in the morning before my day job, right? I get up early and kind of knock out a few hours before my day job starts. So maybe I don't do that one, one or two days. I kind of like grant myself that grace, like, you know what, just because I can't do today doesn't mean I can't make up for it tomorrow. And I just kind of try to be flexible and forgiving with myself. And I think learning how to do that has been like a huge, a huge part in trying and learning how to be successful is that we're too hard on ourselves sometimes. And I know I'm a perfectionist, so I'm very hard on myself if I feel like I can't do things in a certain way. And so giving myself that grace to be like, you know what, it's still going to be there tomorrow. Let me just focus on like what absolutely priorities need done today. And then the rest can wait. Um, I would say that's been one really big part of it. And then the other big part, like I said, is just being like pivoting and being like, okay, well, maybe I can't do it this way today, but maybe if I think creatively, I can find a solution outside the box that gives me another route to accomplish it. So just kind of learning how to, to pivot and tackle things from different ways and just being like, you know what, like I said, that grace of if I'm too tired today or I'm not feeling well today, like I'm human, like it's okay. It's going to be there when I feel better and just finding ways to, to do what I can when I can. So I think, you know, that's where I would, where I would place it. Excellent. I think, you know, you hit on something when it comes to perfectionism, you know, to be a mm -hmm. perfectionist. And then you talked about being creative. And I think that toning for all of us who are perfectionists for whatever mm -hmm. the reasons are, um, <laughs> yeah. because it's not really possible, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. toning it down by thinking outside the box and realizing perfectionists, you know, you can't, we can't do it all exactly the way we think it should be done all the time, you know, and as you said, using some grace and giving yourself some leeway to be creative can tone down that desire to be perfect mm -hmm. and give us um, a equally satisfying result in a different mm -hmm. way. You know, sure. and if we can let go of our expectations of what we think it should be mm -hmm. and accept what is in front of us and how we can use it to best accomplish whatever our goal is, you know, you just get some relief from that pressure that only you are putting on yourself. And I don't mean you step. I just, Oh no, I do put pressure on myself. It's no. true. I have, I have my whole life. It's just, I just always want to do things well and do things right. And like show that I'm doing things right. And like, as I've gotten older and I've gone through this crazy publishing journey where I've learned so much about just the industry and myself in general, I just feel like I've just learned a, everything happens for a reason. So like, if I can't do something one day, it's because the next day something's going to happen. that's even better or be, that's meant to happen. And just finding ways to like creatively find solutions. If I can't do something the way I plan on doing it, like that doesn't mean the way I do do it is going to be bad. So I think just like teaching myself that that's okay to accept that has been a huge part. I think also you're kind of speaking to the idea of flow, you mm -hmm. know, that idea of not resisting. And so if you get to a place where yeah, you know what? Nothing is going my way right now. I don't have to keep pushing. It is right. that balance. And some days we do push because we really do have to get through it. And other days we have the power to say like, I'm just going to take a breath and look out the window. Yeah. We just got like learning to recognize what day is what, right. Yeah. It's like, yes. like there are some days where I'm like, I'm on deadlines, so but it doesn't matter that I'm tired. Like mm -hmm. I have to do this thing for the next like six hours. And then I can like treat myself to relax. Like, but I have to just push through. But then there's other days where you're like, why am I doing this crazy long to-do list of things that not a life or death situation. It doesn't need to get done today. Mm -hmm. Just like finding ways to notice when I'm, when it's one versus the other, I think has been really important. I think if you ever write a book, that's not a thriller and it's more of a biography or an inspirational book, difference. that should be the title. What day is what recognizing what day is what something along those lines, learning how to recognize when a day is a good day to fight and a day to just relax. Oh, you might be a little frozen over there or it might be me. We'll find out in a minute and see if the internet comes back. So I'll pause for a moment and then uh, we'll pick up with recording. Brief interruption there, but we're back. 
So Steph, what I was saying is you were talking about understanding or recognizing what day is what, you know, mm -hmm. days we feel like being brave and pushing forward and we have to, and days where we're just like, Hey, it's not life or death. And I have to just take a break. And I said, I think if you ever write a, an inspirational book, like a, you know, about my life book, that should be the title recognizing what day is what. So there you go. I <laughs> won't even go. charge you. I won't even charge you. you for it. I'll give you, I'll give you a shout in the acknowledge. <laughs> oh, thanks. Uh, <laughs> all right. So the next thing, let's see. I know sometimes people ask about the creative process. Is there anything you haven't mentioned to us that you'd like other authors or creative types to know about? I think there's always a lot of discussion about, it's almost like there's some big secret to getting unstuck, but I don't <laughs> think there really is. So anything, any advice you have out there for creative people sure. who get stuck? I, mean, I think that it's, it's really interesting, right? Cause when you're creative, you wanna just kind of go as the ideas come to you. And so then when you start to transition it into a little bit more of a career, you kind of have to find ways to standardize it a little bit and mm -hmm. make your process become more of a routine. Um, so for me, I kind of just used to write when the feeling struck me, I would just write when I was feeling inspired, or if I was really passionate that day about a chapter or a scene that was coming up. And now I'm like, okay, like every morning, like six o'clock, I'm going to get up, I'm going to feed my dog. And I'm going to like sit down for two hours before work and get my writing done. And so some days I don't feel like doing it, but I'm like, if I don't do it, it's not going to happen. So like learning how to be creative, even when you don't feel creative is a really interesting mm. challenge because when it is becoming more than a hobby, you're, you have to find a way to make it like an everyday job, just like your regular job. Um, so that's been, you know, coming up with a routine that where I can fit it in. Cause at the end of the day, like my brain is tired from mm, work. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not going to write I just know that about myself. While I'm not really, wasn't really a morning person before I've had to make myself be a morning person. Um, just cause I, I write digital ad copy and things like that all day in my creative director. I'm a creative director. So I write digital ad copy. I'm trying to come up with witty, creative design ideas and things like that all day. So come, you know, six, six thirty PM. Like my brain is like, I am not going to sit and write a book. So that's why for me finding that time in the morning has been really imperative, but you know, it's just, there's no like really one way that works for everyone is what yeah. I've learned you know we yeah. all have to kind of find how we can fit it into our world and into our day-to-day -day lives and you know it's people always ask Nicole and I like how do you guys do it as long distance co-authors like how does that process even work like and you know we've just had to find what works for us like we actually reached out to a co-author team before we started being like how do you guys do it mm -hmm. like and just I think reaching out like we said women supporting women reaching out to others who have come before us and being like what do you do that works? Like, how can we learn from you? Mm. And the pro their process, we were just like, that's amazing that that works for you. But we were just immediately like, that's probably not going to work for us. So try a little bit of trial and error. Um, but I also, I started to interrupt you, but I also, no, you're no. hitting something there for me. The yeah. honesty that has to happen between you and Nicole. I mean, mm -hmm. what was it like the first time you had to say to her, I don't like what you wrote, <laughs> or I don't think this yeah. is working this way. I mean, how did you garner the courage to do that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think a, we're lucky that we're good friends. Um, so, and we honestly, we have such respect for each other and each other's work. So just trusting each other uh -huh. and putting that ego aside, we always say like, you can't have an ego when you're in a partnership like this. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um, and at the end of the day, we want what's best for the book. And if, you know, and the fact, so we're like, you know what, listen, I trust that these are your strengths and I trust that these are my strengths. And so if you're pointing something out to me that I know is not in my area of strength, then like, I need to trust you that you're trying to make this the best it can be. So we try to go at it from that point of view. And if there's something we don't agree on, or we're not sure on, we honestly are like, let's go to the experts. We're very big on research and we find mm -hmm. out, we seek out people who are, who know what we're not sure on. So mm -hmm. like for our first book, the family tree, it centers around an FBI investigation. We actually set up an interview with an FBI agent and 
talk to them about all of the fact, like all of the things in our book that we wanted to be factually correct. Or if we like didn't agree on, well, would they have had access to this in this year? We're like, let's ask people who know, like, let's find out so that we don't have to disagree on like needling back and forth on what's going to feel right for the story. Or we, you know, we sought out a genetist to talk to us about genealogy so that we got that aspect of the book. Right. So we're constantly like, if we're not sure, if we can't just like, it's honestly very rare that we do have a disagreement because we just do trust each other very strongly. Um, and we just kind of try to take ownership of our ideas. Um, but when we, yeah, like when we don't though, we're just like, listen, if we don't agree, let's find a source who knows about this topic, who is a neutral third party and can just be like, here's what it is. And then we kind of do what we can with that information. So I think that that's been a really important part of our process is just, you know, yeah, not letting I, our feelings get hurt and just I, doing what's yeah. right. You are. Yeah, I mean, I think you're just saying all the things I love, sister. Yeah. So setting aside the ego, the importance of trust and relationships and doing what's best for the project, whatever that project is, but then also going to the experts. Um, I have a friend, a colleague, her name's Ann Frost, and we have a separate um, venture called the Frost Advisory. And we do um, leadership skills for new managers in mostly um, the Appalachia area, although um, it's available any place but we talk about trust all the time. And sometimes I feel like we're beating it to death. Like (laughs) if you don't trust people, there's no going any further. And I think you're just making a great case for that, you know, (laughs) the importance (laughs) of trusting yourself first and then the ability to trust others, setting aside the ego, which is key. Mm -hmm. And then I love that that point about going to the experts because there Mm -hmm. are people out there that do know and it doesn't take away from you to talk to them. And it doesn't make you any less of a person to not know everything. I mean, that's really back the one of the behind the scenes pieces of being an author is the the love of research and finding out about all this stuff so you can put it together in a compelling story. As we um, as we start to wrap up a little bit, Stephanie, uh, I want to give you a chance to talk about your book. Anything you would like to tell us, whatever you feel comfortable talking about, anything about the book you'd like the group to know. Sure. So our debut book, The Family Tree, it's coming out this year. Um, Like I said, it's launching in three months, June 10th um, in the UK in all versions. And when that does happen, it will be available in ebook and audiobook in the US at the same time. So anyone who's an ebook or audiobook lover does not have to wait for the paperback if they don't want to, which is nice. So then the US paperback will come out October 5th in the US. Um, It's available on Goodreads. It's available for pre-order. It's all over the place. So like, we just appreciate anyone taking a look and, you know, seeing if it's interesting to them. Um, It's interesting to us because we're big true crime fans. And, you know, what inspired this book was when the Golden State Killer was caught using a familial match from DNA. um, We were just like, mind blow like what an interesting and amazing technological advancement in our world that you can like off, even off like a second or third cousin like you can get a connection to a cold case who has that's terrorized our country for like 40 years right so that was just so interesting and inspiring to us and Michelle McNamara and her journey with I'll be gone in the dark just such an inspiration I think from a writing point of view to be so tenacious and not give up looking for answers so we were like what an incredible story like And, you know, and so that was kind of what spurred it is like, what an amazing thing that our technology allows us to to do this and to help victims in this way at at this point in time. So that really inspired us. And so we kind of took that on it, flipped it on its head a little bit. And it's about our main character does like a 23andMe DNA kit just just for fun. She gets one for her birthday. She thinks it's going to be a great time. And it turns out letting her know that she's adopted. So she goes on this journey by finding out she's adopted through this DNA kit to find her biological family 
only to then get roped into an FBI investigation because she's loading it online, looking for relatives. And after she loads it online, they get a familial hit to a serial killer who's been in the tri-state area for over 40 years. Um, so a little bit of inspiration from GSK there. Um, but she basically is like, is the relatives I've been meeting the serial killer? Like, who knows? So she's kind of in this hard place finding, and it's a big personal journey for her, right? Trying to like figure out who she is. Um, and you know, the different cultures that she truly comes from versus what she thought she came from and just really learning how to grapple, you know, that self-identity crisis that I think so many of us have from various things in our lives. So, you know, she's, you know, going on this adventure to be like, is this person I'm connecting to the serial killer? Is it someone else I haven't met yet? Who knows? And then our, you know, one thing that we really pride ourselves on in the family tree is unique format. We really want to do something innovative and interesting and not just like, a standard chronological story. So mm. we actually interlace chapters with the serial killer's actions um, over a 40 year period. So you kind of get a look into his whole body of work. And it sounds um, so scary. Yeah, it's very <laughs> creepy. Um, it's not for the light. It's not a lighthearted story. Um, we definitely wanted it to be creepy. Um, read but it with it the also, lights on. Yes, read it with the lights on. Maybe don't read it alone if you're squeamish. Um, no, I'm <laughs> Um, but it's, um, well, it was really important to us to also give a voice to the victim. So, you know, mm. making sure that it wasn't gratifying a serial killer and instead giving voice to women who have been victims in these kinds of situations and showing that they're people too was also really important to us. So we just hope that that is coming across to our readers and that they enjoy kind of the twisting, turning journey that our character Liz goes on. So if you, you know, anyone is, interested by any of this twisty true crime murder stories then we'd love for you to check it out and let us know what you think we're very accessible on social media as well so we love when people pop in and chat with us so please feel free to find us <laughs> okay so we'll come back to that about how they can find you i just want to come back for a moment and touch on the golden state killer and you mentioned is her name michelle mcnamara actually don't i have the book um, that's yeah. that's um Patton oswald's wife that passed yes. away and they did an incredible um documentary it's available mm -hmm. on amazon prime maybe or netflix HBO, you know? maybe oh maybe. hbo i think you're mm -hmm. right so yeah. for anybody who's a true crime aficionado like i am and obviously steph and lauren you know it's mm -hmm. a crazy passion that lauren and i have we're often sending each other via text like listen to this podcast right. it's incredible <laughs> um that when my husband and i watched that documentary together oh. that was put together by it her and yeah it's really, and it is, I mean, um, you know, there's no secret. She did pass away, mm -hmm. but if to see her work, the legwork that she was doing, mm -hmm. you know, I'm an arch, armchair detective. I grew up on Nancy Drew and Agatha Christie. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Those were books my mother gave to me, the Agatha Christie books, and of course, Nancy Drew. And so I grew up thinking I would be a detective. I also <laughs> thought I'd be a Broadway star. And um, so, you know, um, yeah, this is, you know, okay. maybe, maybe that's still coming in my future. Never I don't know. know. Um, the other thing I wanted to say is I totally love that genetic detective. Have you seen that TV show genetic? Detective, yes. Right. We did. That was another, like when that started, we were like, it, it actually, we were in the middle of working on this book. Whenever that kind of started, we're like, oh my gosh, if this takes off, people are going to really be excited about our story because that yes. woman is incredible. Yeah. What's, now, can you remember her name is like Cece Moore or Cece? Nicole always is like on it with okay. her name for some reason. It always is Cece. So All I'm right, like, Nicole, oh, hit us it. up so with that name, Nicole girl. On, you can, you can chat with I think her name is like Cece Moore or something. <laughs> but exactly. So for anybody, again, who has not watched this show, I'm sure you can find it out on like NBC or ABC or whatever online or YouTube or what oh. have you. Um, this genetic detective is exactly what Stephanie is talking about. They take DNA of the of a 
possible killer, but they don't know who that person is. So they plug it in and start backtracking to find out common ancestry and then mm-hmm. come backwards, come forwards again. So they go back into the, like the early 1800s and they're like, oh, look, here were two people that met in Cincinnati. And then they moved to Detroit and then they came over wow. to Milwaukee. And yeah. the next thing you know, they're like following a guy down the street and it's this guy. Yeah. I mean, it's such an incredible journey ride. Mm-hmm. I know you want to use the word journey. It's such an incredible thrill ride to mm-hmm. watch that show. And so to know that you've written a book that takes all the excitement and puts it all together, interlaced with the actual, you know, similar story to this serial mm-hmm. killer. Number one makes me already afraid and my palms kind of sweaty. <laughs> I'm, uh, you know, that means you get it right, right? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Just anticipating yes. the ride that's coming my way. Um, before we go, then I'd like to ask you a couple more questions. One being, did you, um, I asked you kind of quickly though, but do you have a book you could share with us that was inspirational for you in any way in growing up or in your life or? Yeah. So I'll, um, I actually, I did, I did still have it on my bookshelf. This was one of like the first books that of darker subject matter that I read as a child. Um, it's a love child. of Thrones by Alice Ebold, um, was one of the, I would say one of the formative, like darker stories I read growing up it was one of the first books I read that because you know when I was a kid obviously one of the first things that got me into reading was Harry Potter I started mm-hmm. reading it like when it came out when I was in elementary school and it was you know with me throughout the years but this was like my first book that was a little bit darker a little more sinister and uh, I mean I'm sure most people have read it but for anyone who hasn't the fact that it is from such a unique writing structure of you know, being from this, a girl, who, a young girl who has been murdered and yes. watching what her family is going through, trying to solve her murder and the just want the justice that they're seeking, um, I think really hit home with me as a young girl. And mm-hmm. um, just that, just imagining what that must have been like, I think was, and, and seeing that you can use these really unique, innovative techniques to write stories, um, I think really stuck with me. So I always like to say that's one of the ones that was very formative for me as a writer and a reader. Uh, and just, I've kept it on my shelf all these years. It's just, it's just one of those books that gets you, you know, and, and they did a pretty good job with the movie as well, whenever they adapted it. But I don't, yeah, um, I don't remember the actress's name, but she had this very ethereal look to mm-hmm. her where they're kind of red flowing hair and her very pale skin and, you know, sort of the, the, I don't want to say monotone, but she yeah. takes this sort of objective, you know, she's trying to understand what's happening. Yeah. The book, the movie is, the movie is one of the better movies I've seen, you oh, know, that's from a book. book. Adaptation. Yeah. Yeah. From a book adaptation. Yeah, so um, the, anything else you'd like to tell us any other books or anything? No, um, I mean, it's I, fine. I, I would just, yeah, no, I mean, I'll just say like a recent read that I feel like um, sure. felt really was a big one for me was the silent patient as far as thrillers go. Um, I just loved that story so much. I think that it also had a really in it, an interesting structure that didn't really appear to you till the, the twist was revealed at the end that there was an interesting structure. So the finesse that it took to accomplish that I think was amazing. So um, just keeping on the thriller genre, I would say that was a recent read that I thought, you know, look at these authors who are still doing things that are new and exciting and keep us on the edge of our seat. So I thought that was a really great one too. I agree. Neither of these books are very formulaic, although they're not dealing with um, unusual matter per se. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, there's not, you know, 
sometimes there's that, you know, there is that saying there's nothing new in the world, but there's sure. a lot of new ways to look at what's in the world, even Absolutely. though it's always the same. And yeah. so I agree with you. The silent patient also was a page turner for me. Mm -hmm. I really, and when the twist comes, uh, I'm like, how did I not see that? Right. Cause yeah. I'm a, I usually guess, right. Like I usually guess what's going to happen. And, you know, so, and as also as a thriller writer, like it's very stressful trying to come up with something that hasn't been done before. Cause mm -hmm. like you said, everything's been done. And so you're constantly like, how can I do something that's, even if it's about the same subject matter is done in a different enough way that people still are going to get excited about it. So when authors like Alex come forward and they do something that's innovative about the subject matter, I just am so impressed by that. So I thought that was a great one. I think the other thing is, um, however, there's always new generations of readers. And sure. I think for me, that's something that um, over time, because I, you know, when coming back to this idea that we do leadership skill training, emotional intelligence, I think to myself, how many times can I teach this? And then yeah. I think about all the kids graduating from college that are getting their first jobs that then become their first time managers, mm -hmm. and they don't necessarily have that skill set. So I keep thinking there's always this age for what I do, which is between like 25 and 35, you know, of people that need to learn the skill set to um, continue on their, you know, career path. And so for you, just like Harry Potter has become a touchstone for you, um, you know, your book might be the first thriller mm -hmm. a 14 year old reads and hooks right. for the rest of their lives. And so it may not be that 14 year old. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, girl, if they watch what's on TV today, I or don't. they look at anything on YouTube or TikTok, they're already traumatized. It's very true. Maybe. I was like, listen, a lot of people are about to find out like how dark our minds can go. Yeah. And we're like, it's, it's okay. Yeah. We promise we're not scary people. <laughs> has, has your mom had been uh, able to read the manuscript? So no, nobody in my circle minus beta readers has read our book yet. Okay. Um, so it goes we don't have to worry for mom, mom. It's all right. She mom, will. She's pre-ordered it. So she'll read it, but, okay. um, it's no, it's we just don't want know. to scare. Stephanie is a nice girl. I'm a She's nice a great girl. girl. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, don't worry, mommy. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, it's just the book goes through so much editing and changing. And so, mm -hmm. you know, we have beta readers, like your daughter is one of them. Um, she did tell me. Yeah. Have yeah. Our, give us invaluable information as we go. And then when it goes with our editor at the publishing house, like it goes through more rounds of revisions. And so it's funny, like our beta readers, like Lauren, don't even know the ending of the family tree because it's changed. She actually said that. Yeah. So, she said she read it, but she heard the ending changed. And so, yes. so it's, you know, so we haven't, yeah. So, I mean, it is out there for early reading for reviews, um, especially in the UK. It's been on NetGalley. So we're getting some early reviews coming in. It's going on to NetGalley in the US. I believe this month, we're going to have a touch base about that soon. So any US book reviewers will have access to it very soon as well. Um, but it's, um, yeah, nobody in my personal circle though has read the final copy. I've been making them wait, um, which is probably very good, pretty, but That's um, good. You know, I just, it's, it's just been important to me to make sure it's the final product and that people can read it once and enjoy. Cause I, like my husband's not a huge reader, which is funny, but he supports me extremely well. Right. But my husband has never listened not, to my podcast. Yeah. He's just not a huge reader. So I was like, listen, he's like, I, he's like, I'm not a big reader, but I will read your books. And I was like, okay. And so, and I was like, thank you. And he's like, he's, and then earlier he's like, can I read it early? Can I read it now? And I was like, okay, it's going to change. So if you read it now, you're going to have to read it again later. And he was like, okay, I'll wait. So I'm trying to be respectful to my family and friends who don't want to read, maybe don't know if they want to read it more than once and just letting them wait till the final thing comes out. Yeah, it's good. It's like Christmas, right? Exactly. You know, and it'll the present be really is. exciting to, yeah, to share that absolutely. moment with all of them. So um, it's so yeah. great stuff. Listen, yes. we have just a few minutes and I have some traditional questions that I like absolutely. to ask my guest. Um, do you use a bookmark when you read? 
I do. I change which one I use depending on the day and what I have accessible. Um, if I don't have a bookmark handy, I will use the cover of the hardcover jacket, oh, like okay. tucked around the page. Yes, yes. Just the yes. whole place until I get a bookmark, but dog earring is very upsetting to me. I would never okay, do that. that was my next question. Some uh, people yes. absolutely against the dog ear. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm currently reading a book that you might be interested in, actually, because there's something familiar about it for you. It's called Move the Needle. Okay. I know it's backwards there. It's called Move the Needle Yarns from an Unlikely Entrepreneur. Her name oh. is Shelly Brander. Okay. And um, I'm actually interviewing Shelly next week. Nice. But she was in the advertising. She graduated from, it doesn't matter where she graduated from because I can't think of it at the moment, <laughs> but in advertising. And she talks a lot about being a copywriter in her early oh, days wow. in advertising and then how she cool. transferred all those skills into starting a line of yarn shops. Wow, that's the really yarn reference. That's yeah. unique. And it's, yeah. And it's really um, a fast-paced book. I mean, it's, I want to say it's easy reading, but it's great reading. I mean, like you, you know, she knows how to write an engaging mm -hmm. story because she knows right. about the background awesome. of storytelling like yeah. you do. And so um, anyway, so yeah, I, I, the reason I reference that is because I just put a bookmark in, but I was <laughs> yeah. using the cover page right. to mark my book. Yeah, All every right. once in a while, you don't have a bookmark, Hannah. You got to make do, but I can't do That's the job right. here. It just like okay. hurts my heart as a writer to bend the page. <laughs> Okay. So paperback or hardback, a preference? Um, I, I love a hardback book. Personally, I know that that's maybe not always the most common response, but I just, mm -hmm. I just love the weight of it in your hands. And I think they're so beautiful. Um, I think that these days is not always as common for hard books to be made. Mm -hmm. Um, so a lot of times it's paperback or ebook are your options. So I do like a physical book. Like I have a Kindle I'll read eBooks. Of course, if I'm going to be traveling or running around, it's nice to throw the Kindle in my bag and have a bunch of books available. But, um, I, I do still, I still, I love the feeling of a physical book and I love the feeling of being to do, being able to do a color coordinated bookshelf because it makes me don't look good. at mine. It's not color coordinated. It didn't used to be, but it's been like organized my bookshelf, especially now that I'm supporting and connecting with so many authors and I buying see. their books and yeah, it's just, yeah. I'm gaining so many and they're all so beautiful I was like you know what I'm gonna do some color coordination you know, yeah maybe nice. someday I mean I still have yeah. uh you know books up there it's yeah it's, it's growing my and then there's soothing to look at so all nice. that back there yeah I do you know before uh you know before Kindles and so forth I um had many many books when we moved to Hong Kong I uh, gave up a lot of them because I couldn't move them all and it seems yeah. silly to store them. Yeah. So I am kind of back to building my collection again. I joined yeah. book of the month club last yeah. year or almost two years ago now, uh, in an effort to get back into a more yeah. regular reading habit. Um, yeah. so ordering myself two or three books a month and making sure yeah. I finish them before the next order Excellent. comes in yeah. nice. has been really, oh yeah, it's, it's the best gift I've given myself. Yeah. And it's just all a right. nice surprise. It shows up on your doorstep and you're like, it's like Christmas every time. I, exactly. And my husband's like, wait, more books? And I'm like, Absolutely. look at all those bookshelves back there, baby. You can never have Got lots to fill in. I agree. Thank you. Thank you for supporting my habit. Um, and then, oh, uh, do you ever mark in your books? I do not mark in my books. Um, I'll make, if I have, if I'm talking about books in via book club or with friends who are also reading, I will make notes, but usually not actually in the book margins. Okay. I don't All like right. to deface my books. I like to keep them in pretty good condition. Although I do have some older books that have been read a lot where pages are like falling out now, yes, but right, I try right. to keep them in as good of condition as possible. <laughs> Stephanie, is there anything we didn't talk about today that you hoped we would, or anything you didn't get a chance to say that you'd like to say no or forever uh, hold your peace? I know. No, I mean, this has just been so nice. I'm just like very excited to 
be joining the ranks of published authors soon. And I'm very excited to have been here and talked with you. This was so lovely just to have like a really genuine conversation with you. So it's Thank been you. really nice. Great. Well, for everyone out there, so the authors, authors, it's Stephanie mm -hmm. Mullen, Steph Mullen, I should say mm -hmm. Steph Mullen and Nicole Mayberry. Mayberry, yep. M-A-Y-B-E-R-R-Y. M-A-B-R-Y. Oh, Mayberry. How do you say Mabry. it? Mayberry. Mayberry. Okay. Mayberry. Mm -hmm. Very good. Yep. Sorry, Nicole, for slaughtering your name. Um, <laughs> but it's in the true crime genre, the slaughter. Yeah. Anyway, uh, you, I am so thrilled for you. And Thank as you. a true crime, as I said, um, you know, enjoyer of true crime, I look forward to reading this book. Now, Nicole, I mean, <laughs> Steph, I'll say goodbye to you off the air. But yeah. for my listeners, thanks for coming by. Be sure to look up Steph Mullen and Nicole Mayberry and um, their book, The Family Tree. You can pre-order it or get ready to read it in June. I will be read. I don't use electric readers myself. I'm very old fashioned. I do have electricity, but that's about as current <laughs> as I am. So uh, I will be waiting, unfortunately, for the paperback to come out. So don't ruin the ending, people. Yes. Everyone have a great day and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, everyone. Bye.